Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. My friend Juan Andres is here with us this week. Uh, we are going to shoot the breeze on nation state APTs, JuanCon, LabsCon, all the fun activities we've been up to uh, through, through, what are we in, September now? October. Welcome to the show, Juan. How are you? Very much. Jeez. It is early yeah. October. I'm How good. You, it's friend? been ages since we've actually done this. So it's like four jobs ago and a few centuries in between. This is true. This is true. You're a returning guest on the podcast, having uh, been a guest in the early, early days when it was just started. Let's not waste too much time because I have, um, I feel like I can always come to you and get a blunt, honest assessment of the APT space. And I want to start with one thing that comes out of Black Hat and um, Chris Krebs's uh, uh, bold statement that we've over-fetishized the APT. Uh, do, do, is, there a, is there a general agreement from your side of the house that we have allowed marketing and we've allowed all the sexiness of APT activity to dominate the landscape in a way where it's taking away attention from where it should be? How would you respond to that statement? Because that's yeah, your work, I don't right? respond with it with disagreement, but I would shift the focus. Um, I would shift the how you put that out there, right? Like, it, it's not that we have over fetishized the APT, we should be worried about APTs, we should care that they're there, we should care that we are not very good at detecting them. Um, it's that we have overestimated our maturity in general, as defenders, like, threat intel is fantastic, it's great, it's delightful, you need it, you know, etc. At a certain point of maturity, I think what we're learning is just how immature most defense organizations are, most IT programs are, uh, even most governments are. So while you should care about APTs and you should consume threat intel, it turns out that a lot of these programs are in their infancy. And no, they should not prioritize that over all the things that should come along the way, the telemetry that you need, the solutions along the way, the general self-awareness uh, that an organization should have before they can even respond to any of it. Like I can tell you, look, the APT is right there. And if you don't have any of the tooling to respond or to understand what's happening in your network, it doesn't mean anything. So in that sense, I think it's not the APT right. itself. It's the fact that like, it's very hard to market, you know, eat your vegetables, turn on multi-factor, right, right. you know, don't reuse your passwords. Right, the foundational yeah. things are all Segment unsexy. The basics are largely yeah. unsexy. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah, but at the same time, do you feel like the threat intelligence, let's call it an industry or whatever it is, uh, has kind of run away from where defenders are. And the only people, like you just mentioned, the only people who can actually consume and start doing threat hunting mm -hmm. and doing any of that stuff at scale has to have like a certain level of maturity in the organization where the security program is is humming along with all the basics mm -hmm. already built in. And threat intel is a bolt-on, right. an important bolt-on, but a bolt-on. I just had this conversation with Will Lin, my friend over at ForgePoint, and we were talking about categories, like product categories that like hits and misses over the years. Like mobile security never became a category, it just never became a thing. And right. he's making the argument that threat intelligence is one of those that will never become a thing. It's one of those small bolt-on things that adds on there. And I feel like the Chris Krebs statement put it into a different perspective. Um, when he talked about fetishizing, I got the sense he was talking more along the lines of headline grabbing and some of the bigger type conversations and not going down. Uh, there's 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 the like three things in there that I would tackle uh, kind of differently in the sense of like go 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 what Chris Krebs is talking about as far as the way that I take it and I think Chris is great for the sake of like getting some some very like dry top down perspective on the industry is you know I mean who gives a damn about the APT when you have like these 17 year olds and lapses running circles around giant organizations and you have ransomware crews taking over countries like those are not giant not just giant organizations but giant yeah. mature organizations yeah. with CISOs and like solid security uh, uh, yeah. infrastructure in place right and if you can have a 16 17 year old like lapses not only running running havoc but 
doing things where you yourself can't even figure out what they've done or how they've done it, and you're mucking up communications, you're mucking up all these things. It, it means that foundationally the basics so aren't there. Th there's that aspect of it where I think the APT kind of goes out of the picture. Um, I think there's a lack of recognition of why marketing gravitates to APT stories, uh, which we've kind of discussed before, so I don't want to like dig too deep into it, but essentially like human interest is what drives stories. It's what drives PR. So right. you're going to get a lot more of that from APT discussions, nation state discussions, or like, you know, victimizing of specific individuals, etc. Those are hooks for PR. If I call a reporter tomorrow and I say, look, I just found the coolest malware because it does this fancy technical thing, they're going to hang up the phone. They're not going to write a story. But if I tell them it was used to hack, you know, activists and whatever, or Biden, like that is a hook for a bigger story. So in that sense, right, you're not right. going to, you're not going to shift those very normal human dynamics out of what the threat intel space ultimately provides for a lot of organizations. The third part is with, you know, you mentioned Will Lin, and not to come at Will in particular, but rather the larger VC space. We know the VC space sponsors sexiness. Uh, it, it Investment happens on FOMO. Uh, it almost always falls some bullshit trend that like it's this year's RSA buzzword, right? Like right now they're all obsessing over software right. supply chain attacks. Fantastic. Like they got the memo. Uh, like 20 years too late, maybe 10 years too late from the APT side. And the reason I bring it up is I want to see more investment and build up of real security companies with real products that are making the basics something normal, consumable, approachable in a way that I can recommend it to somebody. Like my issue as a threat intel researcher is I'm having a grand old time focusing on these high level things. And then when I have to talk to somebody that wants to defend their org, well, I'm not gonna go work for your damn organization, right? I'd be bored. Um, right. I also am not a specialist in things like, you know, how do you set up your AD properly? And how do you, you know, set up to right. FA across an org? But I also don't have go-to organizations or products that I can be like, well, if you buy this from these guys and you set up this from those guys, then you're, you, you know, you're good to go. So it, it's, it's very difficult to land the plane short of saying like, okay, well, I'm gonna step off of my function in this industry and go somewhere else just so that right. people can figure out how to not use these fucking passwords, right? Like it's, it, it, there's a failure of the ecosystem to substantiate its own steps. And then what we end up seeing is some of our own friends who are amazing researchers have to like step off the podium right. and go do it themselves. Because even though this is like, right. however many multi-billion dollar industry, most money is being put into bullshit. And most of what's being sold is like marketing garbage. So like, you know, tips are, that don't work as tips and like endpoint products that don't produce endpoint telemetry and like everyone ignoring that memory exists except for like one effing company. And, you know, it. now we have like, you know, our friend Alex uh, at Binary doing firmware, but like you look at these things, you're like, they're the same issues we've been discussing forever. And at best you get one real company and then you have a lot of also right. brands that are just like selling marketing shadows where they're like oh yeah we do that we we do assessments of like your assets and vulnerabilities, whatever and we can't answer the basic questions like you still can't answer what files have i ever had what places have i ever connected to how many assets do i actually have where are they connected how are they structured like what identity has access to this, that, and the other, and privileges, and, and where have they been, and what have they done? Those are like yeah, but I, I basic can, I inventory can, questions. I can name 25 startups, right, but I can name 25 startups that are promising to solve that problem, and they've been funded to the tune of $200 million. I mean, it comes back to this circular conversations about how, how VCs yeah. drive 
conversations and VC money drives conversations and that money driving Gartner to create these categories and create these buckets and categories and lump sum of things where budgets have to go. And then what you find is the CISO with a strap budget trying to figure out a shiny toy right. foundation threat hunting. Like what, what is, what is the priority? And it, be, and that's why we have a ransomware like I epidemic. Want, right? I want them to spend the money on the foundation. I don't want them to spend the money on threat Intel. I want them to spend the money on the foundational stuff that means that threat intel can be applied. Because let's put it this way, like... That threat right, intel that, actually that works. I, look, if tomorrow I go full pro bono and I say, I'm going to go help people defend against APTX, and I go, okay, this organization has APTX in it, and I walk in, if the foundational stuff is not taken care of, I'm not going to be able to do anything. And that's the part that I want people to anything, understand. Right. Like, it's not magic. Um, you need to be able... No one is going to know your network better than you do. And if you don't know your network, it means the only people that know your network are the attackers. That's it. It's not like threat intel people get to know the attackers. They don't get any more familiar with what your network looks like, what your um, what your defense stance looks like. And what they're going to be able to do at that point is incredibly limited. Right. Are you worried about your your part of the industry, the threat intel side of the house, speaking a completely different conversation from the, the conversation spoken by CISOs and security directors? And I'll, I'll, let, me, let, me, let me linger here for a second. We had Caleb Simon, CISO from Robinhood at LabsCon. We were having this conversation about, and he, you know, we were consuming this LabsCon content, which was filled with threat intel, threat hunting type focus. And as a CISO there, he felt like this conversation didn't necessarily resonate directly with him, right? And he is managing and mitigating risk here, and there's a different conversation happening over here. And I feel like it's, I feel like there's a, a bridge that's very, very difficult to cross. Do you find that at all in your conversation? In a sense, I mean, I, I don't personally have that difficult a time discussing with CISOs because I don't mind landing it into business concerns. I think a lot of folks in the threat intel space who are living the artist life and the life that I'd rather be living um, have that problem because they don't, you know, you, when you look- Somebody's gotta buy well, this stuff. You know, and let me, let, me, let me roll that back a little, right? Like I don't do sales and I've specifically held that position at every company that I could for the past 10 years and, and I'm gonna to continue to do that. Like, I don't like doing sales. I like being able to call the baby ugly. And more importantly, like I like being able to express our limitations, right? Like we're in XDR, go right. talk to your network security provider about the other parts, right? Like we can't do that for you. It stops right. here and it starts over there. Um, and you can't do that when you're just trying to pimp out a product and you're trying to get someone on your platform. Uh, you also can't have an objective view of threat actors if you only decide that like the only telemetry that matters is ours and then everybody else's is bullshit. You can't do that. So I think that that's important. But on the CISO side, I think the bigger problems don't come from threat intel not speaking their language, but rather the CISO ecosystem is very strange and it's driven by things that Expand well, on that a little bit. Why, why do you find, I find it, it incredibly strange? Because it's a job that is essentially built in the built on the wrong motivators in a lot of ways. It's one that entails like you've come in to be the sacrificial lamb of this organization. It essentially, we know that the failures that happen here, regardless of whether they're your fault, are going to be pinned on you as a CISO. Um, given your, you know, whatever your performance may or may not be, in a space for which there are so many levers that you do not control. So, like, I admire people who are willing to take the job. They're willing to say, I'm going to be the face of information security for this organization. And presumably you walk into that organization, unless you got promoted, you're walking into that organization to find out what the culture looks like, if you have a sponsor, if someone's gonna give you political top cover, if someone's gonna invest into your initiatives, if someone is gonna get, if they have the tooling that you expected, how popped they are from the time before you got there, right? CISOs don't necessarily- I mean, we just like, had, 
We just had this described in detail by Mudge, right? Like Mudge getting into Twitter and finding it 10 years. And their responses. And, Google. and that's, that's an oh, organization. Their responses exactly. to the whole, like, look, I'm an ardent supporter of Mudge. Um, I, on a personal level, I think he's an amazing human being. I also see him uh, just as somebody who's clearly been comfortable speaking truth to power for, you know, longer than I've been in this industry. Um, and, and I admire that. I was very dismayed by the responses too much speaking up particularly you know there's the side of the house that wanted to be all conspiratorial and talk about elon musk deal whatever i don't care about that like forget that bit but there were a lot of real politic pragmatic uh descriptions of what the executive you know c-suite should look like and how much just didn't know how to fall into place and didn't know how the real world works kid and like that was very strange. Um, it was very strange to me because essentially it invalidates the notion of a legitimate whistleblower in an executive setting. It invalidates the notion of any responsibility to customers, right? The idea is if your board is willing to say or your CEO is willing to say, don't worry, we're going to sort this out in the next 18 months. The fact that everything looks terrible and that we're not doing anything about it doesn't matter. We're going to sort this out in the future that you, a, a person right. like Mudge or like me or whomever that has any credibility in the space is supposed to rubber stamp that and accept it and keep moving. Regardless of the fact that they could fire you in six right. months, regardless of the fact that like at the end of the day, no one from outside Twitter, no no customer of Twitter or content provider of Twitter, really, um, has any assurance or, or has any understanding of what the roadmap may or may not be and if you'll ever get there or not. So like things like Errata Rob being like edgelord, you just don't understand how executives work, to me was more an admission of accepting this like deep moral corruption that has to take a backseat to are we making enough money? Um, do we have the right business model? Whatever. And and right. frankly, while I do understand that that is real, you can't spend money you don't necessarily have. You, you do need to have a strong business in order to drive certain things. We're not talking about a mom and pop shop. We're talking about a company like Twitter right. that's been around for just as long as you know places like Facebook and others that have managed incredibly mature uh, threat until organizations and who know that their business is PII, who know that they're going to get into uh, political territorial battles with the with people in India, with people in China, with people in all these places and have just developed processes around that. And instead, we're looking at Twitter. Right. It's not a freaking startup. It's not 50 people. And I don't it's, it's a, a multi-billion multi dollar It might not be as many but, billions as people wish they were, but you can't make the argument that <laughs> it's not in a position to defend itself. It's absolutely ridiculous. Right. But it comes back to the point you were making around CISOs not having top level support and CISOs not having the level of sponsorships that help them figure out uh, 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 a way to be transformational. Because the other thing is CISOs, they're, they're, they're 18 to 36 months right. and they're gone to the next gig. There's a lot of, there's a lot of turnover. There's the CISO tenures are becoming shorter and shorter. And how can you make decisions for the long-term interest of the company when you're trying to shore up these things? And I feel like the, the other thing gets lost in the much thing, and you talked about the response to it and the response to the anti-whistleblower response to it, is a shocking acceptance of right. poor security practices and posture at these big, big organizations. Like Much comes out and talks in detail, tremendous detail about everything that he saw wrong and going in the wrong directions and all the data points he shared. And everyone looks past all of that and says, oh yeah, this is just how it is in corporate world today. Yeah. It's just like, I feel like it's a defeatist mentality. It's, it's not just a defeatist mentality, it's a, uh, we have a tendency as human beings towards overgeneralization. And it's what allows us to create patterns. It's what allows us to identify similarities in, in vastly incongruous situations, which is fantastic. I mean, that's how our brains work and that's great. However, in this case, what it became was lumping our defeatist maxims about vague organizations and making them apply to everything. And, and I think right. that also comes from 
not knowing what good security standards look like at big companies. Facebook has an unbelievable structure around access controls and knowing who accesses what data and uses it how. Same with Google. Google, I mean, look, I can criticize Google all day and tag, whatever, all these things, but I admire Google as an organization for their security practices. Like, they got beyond corporate everything, zero trust. Everything. Right? I mean, mean Heather Atkins, yeah. what she has put through and what she has seen this org through and, you know, from its humble beginnings with, you know, Mike Wysak back there and Shane and everyone uh, to what it is now is amazing. And they have actually put books out and stuff and whatever on this. But th the truth is that I think folks don't understand that when you're at that level, you should know where your data goes, who gets to see it, what they do with it and when. And, to, and then it's trivial to raise a red flag and go, why did somebody who works over here go look at the messages of somebody over there? Like that should be, I understand if you're small and coming up and depending on somebody else for your tooling and you, you don't know that. Okay. But as soon as you get to a level of maturity, there so needs to be guarded. When you get right? to Twitter, what we're talking about is an unwillingness to know and not caring to invest into it and accepting not just business as usual, but I'm going to let the regulators from country X do whatever the hell they want. And, and the people who are rogue insiders right. do whatever the hell they want. And that, at that point, what you're telling the CISO, what you're telling Mudge, what you're telling anybody else is, I don't want to know what I don't want to know. And then we yeah. can say we're safe. But that's a culture thing, too. I think it... That's a culture thing too with sure. a corporate organization that's willing to like. I mean, he mentioned they were willing to absorb one-off fines. They're just. I, I think most orgs assume do. that. I think that you know that's what you get into with like you know undefined regulations like GDPR, where it's like most giant American yeah. companies have said the EU every once in a while is going to bleed us for fifty million dollars. Just pay the check and move on, right? Like it's impossible to fall into regulations that are undefined. Right. Whenever they they want us to write a check, just you know it's a it's a speeding ticket. Move on. But like coming back to the CISO thing, I mean, I, I'm not criticizing the CISOs themselves. I'm saying the role is scoped in such a way where it's impossible to be successful. Um, it asks you to jump in on faith. And then it essentially asks you as a figure to sign off on a lot of things that are the effects of your predecessors. And as long as you keep your mouth shut after you leave, you know, well done, here's your executive, you know, severance package and let's all keep on trucking. Go yeah, take another go one. To the next go one. take another CISO gig it. somewhere else and do the same thing. So, so um, yeah. All right, now that we've gotten, now that we've gotten through <laughs> the business thing and we've kind of think, can we go back to fetishizing the hmm. APT? Please, um, that's like <laughs> my whole thing. One thing, one, one thing I noticed recently, and you and I worked at Kaspersky Great uh, for a while, and we had this notion around attribution where things were language speaking, right. Russian speaking, Farsi speaking, Chinese speaking APTs. Attribution of nation state campaigns have gotten a lot more direct <laughs> this day, these days. Yeah. yeah. Right? Now you have, you have the FBI joint advisories with CISA, you have Microsoft, you have Google, you have Facebook, like private sector, public mm -hmm. sector, it doesn't matter directly pinpointing adversaries by name, directly pinpointing adversaries by country, by, by unit within the country. Why this change? Because for many years, you, Juan, and all your friends told me attribution is really, really, yeah. really difficult to get right and mm -hmm. easy to get wrong. Suddenly, we're, everyone is doing attribution. It's, an open, it's open season on attribution. Take the stage and help me understand why, what, what has changed, why it has changed, and is it for the better or for the worse? Uh, yes all of it right like so things have changed um attribution on a technical level has not necessarily changed all that much there were things that used to happen in secret that are now happening more openly for example you look at an organization like facebook you look at what they're disclosing in their uh threat intel reports it includes a lot of attribution stuff well think about it Facebook is basically the private sector equivalent of what the NSA called treasure map. Like it's this beautiful organization where you have a website where people identify themselves uh, through an account that includes cookies, that includes IPs, that includes crimes. their devices. <laughs> like you basically have a perfect mapping from digital persona to, uh, to devices. It allows you to do a lot of great things. Uh, they are more comfortable talking about that sort of thing openly now. 
what really changes the stage and like not to single out Facebook, there's a lot of organizations doing this and, and they're all doing great thread Intel work. Uh, they're just more open about it. But what changed the tone is uh, 2014 Sony hack. The Obama administration comes out and says this was North Korea. That was a very big change in posture from the government, from the public sector that has always been the leader on attribution, whether it was, you know, in all source right, attribution, right. right? When you have human assets and an economic understanding of the place and signals intelligence and um, and the private sector giving you tidbits, you're in a position to put, to coalesce all of that and say with a certain level of confidence, this was North Korea, blah, blah, blah. The fact that they were willing right, to do that right. publicly, I think changed the tone for the rest of the industry. Where all of a sudden, hey, look, it's getting a little more acceptable. And here comes Intrusion Truth, who nobody knows who they are, who's pinpointing individuals. And then, you know, you get some false starts in the private sector, but then also some other reports where you're like, wow, like these guys were willing to, you know, come out and come come to a ledge and say, look, we don't know everything we don't know. And here's the shaky foundations of what we do know, but it does seem to really point to these individuals. So like, I think it's technical attribution has not gotten easier. It has also not developed greater certainty. But what you have is a space where you can, I can hitch my wagon to a government announcement. I can say, look, I have these indicators. I have a technical connection to the same thing that the FBI was talking about. And they said it's so-and-so. Right. My indicators vaguely move in that direction too. So let's just, you know, if you're being responsible, right. you kind of outline this logical tree of relationships. Right, but you're putting a lot of blind trust in what governments oh, yeah. will say, right? And like they have their own motivations. And yeah. I'll throw one at you. China has started doing their own APT reports <laughs> in the Right? I mean, you laugh. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. China suddenly found out. China has just suddenly found out that Rob Joyce was uh, they sussed uh, it out uh, of at him. the NSA and, and started naming. No, but my yeah. my point is, gov when you when you allow governments to lead attribution. You, you're going on blind faith, blind trust that this is but we're, all we're laughing because it's so blatantly politicized and such low quality, right? Like it's not. Well, it's it's the same here, though. Let's no, be fair. Is no, it no. not politicized but, look, here? Come you on. can make you can take something apolitical and make a political statement out of it. But I don't think that you can look at the major. Come on. Look, no, I, look, I'm, I'm serious. Now, let's like, can, can I can I push back yeah. a little bit? Let's look at the yeah. Albania thing, right? I mean, that was that, that was political attribution for for a very 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 specific, very very uh, obvious signaling, but it was a political operation. It's a political operation. I don't think it's political attribution. And having admittedly worked on the Albania case from one angle, I know Microsoft worked from another angle. CISA was involved. A lot of folks were involved. Um, it was actually, I think, a case where attribution was very helpful in that you have a nation state hitting a third party in the middle of a bizarre, you know, it's a sort of proxy attack in the middle of a bizarre conflict, right? You have Israel and Iran kind of hitting back at each other all day. And then, you know, Israel obviously has 10 times the might of Iran and they're really like really shaking them up. So right. instead, they go and hit like this random proxy over like this MEK battle um, and pretend to be a ransomware group. And it's a NATO nation. So like, there's a lot of things in there where it's like, it's better that we come in and defuse a bomb and say, look, guys, it was the Iranians. It's this thing. And like, make your statements and let's just all move on. But this is not the only APT activity from these guys. Why, is the, why was this one so special that caused embassy closings, that caused diplomatic uh, uh, issues? Like, I feel like there's, there's, there's an Iranian APT, APT attack happening in NATO countries every day. Not so much destructive. Um, how do I put it? There's just something weird about this one, and I'm trying to understand why are we putting all this trust in governments well, doing in that case, and, and governments leading that case, private it wasn't sector. The government, it was the private sector providing it to the government, providing it to the governments involved. So right. I just think this is a bad. I think this one in particular is a bad example of what I hear you saying, just because I think in this case it okay. did. It was actually attribution was a very valuable part of not letting this escalate in weird ways, right? It defanged the attacker. Yeah, but you, the point you're making. The point you were making is, is 
private sector is a lot more willing to go up their confidence level based on whether CIS or FBI or NSC or these had put out private some sort of sector private. is a lot more willing to put itself out there publicly when they can hitch their wagon to a public um, attribution statement. And it's not just... Is that lazy or is it just, it, it makes sense? I think it's a, it's a, I don't know, it's lazy. I think it's part of the bizarre calculus of marketing decisions that go into threat intel because we're talking about uh, the public. I don't but we're talking about that. the public, right? Like we're not talking about the products of threat intelligence. We're talking about the publication of the redacted products of threat intelligence. Mm -hmm. Like those reports were written with next to everything in them and provided in a private circle, either like to government or to consumers, to people who paid for it, to executives. Publication is a subsequent step that has a different calculus. And a part of that calculus right. is, you know, are we supporting the local government? Are we getting some nice stories because we're part of this human political discussion that'll draw headlines? Right. I think the fringe cases that people don't like to talk about where you can talk about politicization and how that affects the, dis the decision making are about home country. When, and we've talked about this extensively. We've done it at least in two different podcasts and as friends all the time. But like, you know, wh why aren't we publishing American tools in, in the U.S. and so on and so forth? Um, yeah, why are you talking about it like this? Like, if it's just some trivial issue, like this is a serious issue. If we're gonna like look at the whole yeah. totality of what the threat landscape look like, and we just turn a completely turn a blind yeah. eye to Western stuff, it feels like. Well, I think it's unprofessional. I, I I talk about it dismissively, not because I don't have strong feelings about it, but because I've talked about it so much that I feel like a broken record, right? Oh. Like, I I have strong feelings about it. Um, I could summarize my points as there's an intellectual dishonesty to not looking at the whole field. It's blind spots that I think um, very easily could drive us down some dangerous paths and may have already in the sense of, I mean, what better cover for an APT than to just write everything in good English, right? Like if you, it's, it's, it, there's definitely some things there that I'm, I'm uncomfortable with. And frankly, there are cases where we aren't serving our customers. And I say we sort of the larger threat intel industry out of these bizarre blind allegiances that government doesn't ask you for, right? Like NSA doesn't yeah, yeah, come down yeah. and it's, say, it's like a self don't do this. Yeah. They've never, I will sign anything you want. I will tell you that they've never come down and said, don't publish this. But people, a lot of whom have been former govies feel a need to overcompensate, to show allegiance or whatever, fine, but there have been times when the USIC has not been properly notified, covered, protected, because people, let's say, after the leaking of the equation tools, right? The first people who saw that in the field assumed that that was NSA doing their thing. They didn't let them know, right, hey, right, right. your tools showed up here. Maybe they weren't supposed to be here. That, you know, that's, that's one blind spot. The other one is all the same companies sell in Western Europe. And there's no portion of the planet that is worse served than Western Europe because it's all American companies for the most part selling products to Western Europeans whom are sandwiched in between all attackers. They get hit by the right, West, right, they right. get hit by the East, and they get served the same measures as everyone else. So if you're unwilling to provide indicators for what you perceive to be friendly orgs, I hope you're letting your Western European allies and customers know that, right? Let me ask a tricky question. Do you think they're blind to it or it's a blind spot or they're, everyone is aware of it and just, just deliberately decide not I think to it's a, publicize I think, or share? And, and are, those IS, are those IOCs and, 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 car, and, and telemetry data being shared privately? Even though, even if we, the public, don't hear about Western. It depends Western. on who you're talking about. So let, let's let's characterize this uh, for its peculiarities. You don't just trip over what what we'll call friendly APTs, right? That, there's that word, um, and, and I say that because it's not specifically Western. You know, there's a whole alliance of countries that we all are generally in the West sort of in agreement with and don't want to mess with. Right, but it's right, not right, Five right. Eyes in particular. It's not none of that. Um, 
you don't just track those guys um, by mistake. They're not as easy as any of the other ones. So they require effort. So I think it becomes a matter of willful blindness when organizations that have the skill and telemetry to do so choose not to. But then there's a lot of orgs that couldn't if they freaking wanted to, right? Like, this isn't the kind of thing you're just going to go on VirusTotal and, like, click a couple of TTPs and you're like, okay, well, here's all of so-and-so's operations. Like, it doesn't work that way. Um, That said, I do think that you're already talking about a rarefied, smaller set of organizations that have the skill, telemetry, and and free remit, and, you know, time, or whatever, uh, to track these things. And among those... It depends. Like, there's people who see it and they talk to their friends, and there's people who see it and they go, I want to have nothing to do with this. And the truth is that you are talking about probably like 50 human beings in all of Earth. And it's going to come down to personalities and it's going to come down to individual things. And I would challenge you with one. Right. But some companies have specific policies too, right? I mean, like, companies have publicly said, we will not, we will not interfere with friends. I mean, I think. I don't know that companies have been quite so clear. I wish they were. I think I would feel a lot more comfortable if you just had a stated position. Yeah, I feel I heard that out of right. FireEye once. I, to be fair, it's it's not companies. I think I've, I, I may have right. read that once from FireEye well, using I'll, a, a I'll, Here's where I'll put another uh, sort of wrench in there is like, who cares what the company wants? If we're gonna be, sure. if we're gonna be really, really honest, right? Like the whole point is we're being really, really honest, right? You have this, tiny brain trust 200 maybe 300 thread until researchers worldwide yeah. you have to keep us as happy as presumably we're keeping you before we just grab our stuff right, and go right. somewhere else you right, know right. what we choose to look at is very much on us in a lot of ways so most of the time when i'm making entreaties like this it's not about the public it's not about blogs it's just to say like if the whole world relies on this very small group of people to not just know what's happening, but to document human incursion into the fifth domain, you know, air quotes and right. pompous stuff along the way, um, choosing to just kind of carve out parts of history and just leave them on the table is, is something right. that I'm personally deeply uncomfortable with. But I don't think that it comes to the companies, I don't, right? Fair enough. I don't want to run out of time before I get a chance to talk about Metador. One thing I just realized when I introduced you is that I did not mention that you're senior director at Sentinel Labs, which is Sentinel-1's, uh, what do you call it, threat intelligence, threat hunting, threat yeah. intelligence arm. And at your LabsCon event a couple of weeks ago, you guys made this, uh, did the Metador announcement. And the, the big takeaway there for me, again, was this mm. difficult to attribute, impossible to attribute. I think, I think you made a, uh, an educated guess that it could even be mercenary uh, uh, actors working for, for specific nation, nation state. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to go public mm. with something like this when it feels like the paleontology research is not complete? It feels incomplete and it feels like, it fe- like what's the purpose? Help me understand the, 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 the motivation. I mean, in a lot of ways, um, taking I'm this glad that we had this much conversation building up to this point because it, it sets the stage for a kind of complicated um, discussion. That yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, it's a weird, complicated discussion to have. It, well, it, yeah, go ahead. Because my, my brain it, it is, is spinning with a million questions and, and the guests always It's precisely complete. because of what we were talking about, right? It's everything that we have been discussing. We don't know who it is. Um, it is rarefied air to find them, right? So it's not like... Right? Well, pause pause for a second and spend right, a minute sorry. on uh, what we're talking about. For the, for the, for the folks, folks who didn't read the ginormous like report and, and yeah. we're in at LabsCon. Um, so Metador is a, a so far unattributed APT threat actor, mostly hitting uh, telcos, ISPs, and in some cases universities in the Middle East and Africa. Uh, when you say Middle East and Africa, can you tell no. me what that means? It means Middle East, Middle East, East and, Africa. and Africa. And I say this precisely because, um, you know, you, there's got to be a certain amount of risk. Well, let, let's be honest and blunt there. Is there. Are you talking about ISPs no, in Israel? No, but at the same time, like, okay, the reason I'm putting it this way is 
uh, it's not to be vague in, 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 it's not to be dishonest, it's just when you talk about telcos and you give somebody a country, you're basically narrowing it down to like two organizations. So there's a certain amount of like, fair you know, enough, uh, just by by virtue of, you know, giving those those victim organizations a, a certain room to breathe. Then say that, like if you, you, you have, <laughs> then say that because you have, outsi- you have outsiders like me thinking that Middle East and Africa is just this broad entire region deliberately put there to no, just it, have No, it us. is, okay, but also uh, it's not just an attempt to anonymize who the victims are to some extent. But also the fact that like Metador is so hard to catch, monitor, that I don't think we have an authoritative sense of all the organizations that they're in and all the countries that they care about. And like we were very specific in, in highlighting that in the talk in the report because I, I know how organizations consume these reports sometimes. And a lot of times you look at the top sheet and you go, well, we're not in the Middle East or Africa. We're not a telco or an ISP. Move on. And I don't think yeah. we know enough about this threat to really say that. Um, the reason I think you know they're important in a variety of ways is they've been operating for years. We haven't caught them before. They have a like really advanced tooling that they're using primarily in memory, uh, and they have a very pragmatic attack chain where they're not wasting flashy zero days or whatever. But they know they've studied precisely how to get their tools trampolining into areas like memory where most folks have next to no capability to monitor so it it does feel like a sort of stray shooting star kind of situation where you're like if you caught them you caught them and chances are you haven't and that doesn't mean they're not there um so when we come out with this and we say you know they're unattributed i don't say that to cut myself slack from the political fallout of it being, you know, some friendly nation or anything like that. It's more to say, hey, we just spent nine months on this thing. We've talked to every data provider we could think of, other threat intel companies, who, you know, friends and whatever, other researchers, uh, ISPs involved, friendly governments. We've talked to all of these people and worked on this for many, many months, and we're still stuck with this mystery and i think that's where it gets very significant it's not to say oh we can't attribute this or we only saw these specific cases it's to say we've pulled a lot of the threat intel space and adjacent organizations that tend to share data and everyone's coming up blank what the hell is going on um and i think to that effect is that an abnormal thing is that an abnormal thing to run into these APTs where no one has seen, no one has got a, an idea? This it's is a very, very abnormal. unique case, right? Like, I think in a lot of cases, what you could run into is, we just discovered a thing. This other company didn't know about the thing, but when we told them about it, they went looking and they found other stuff. That's normal, right? Like, I could say, hey, I'm the first person to identify this activity. But then it turns out that when you talk to your friends or your partner companies or other governments, they go, oh, yeah, we were tracking, you know, we had data on this or we tracked this for a little bit, didn't know what it was and moved on or whatever. Like all of that is normal. It's abnormal to knock on everyone's doors and for everybody to go. We have no idea what this is. We don't have any victims. We haven't seen this before. We don't know what this platform is. We just ran the YAR rules, the IOCs down. We get no hits. It's like, okay. Well, we need to treat this a little differently because that doesn't mean they haven't been around, but it does mean that however they've chosen to go about their operations is successful enough in, you know, tiptoeing in the shadows to where they have avoided all of us. And that should be deeply concerned. And you're convinced that this is an apex predator, apex type actor who, because when you mention the magnet of threats and sitting on a machine willingly with other uh, adversaries sitting on that machine, it gives it gives the sense that this is an an actor that's not necessarily financially motivated or you're separating them, right? Financially, well, let let's let's scale this back, right? That your question is. (laughs) You know, do you do you see them as an apex predator? And I like to be as intellectually honest about these things as possible. I wouldn't put them in the apex predator category. Like this isn't the next equation. It isn't the next project Zoron. Like there's a very rarefied space uh, where the real right, apex right, right. predators operate. Right. For me, the concern is they have learned enough things from those apex predators where I wouldn't be surprised if some of them had worked there before, 
I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, right. some of these are avid uh, students of the space. Uh, but I don't see those organizations at play. What I see is a level of OPSEC and development and tooling and so on that suggests enough familiarity with it. So would I put them as an APIC predator? No. I, I think that my hunch, my gut feeling, my being totally open with you, I wouldn't be surprised if this was some high-end contractor selling their services in the Middle East to people who have legitimate right. nation-state needs. Uh, and maybe it involves folks who used to work in this place and that place and the other. Um, and I'm, I'm not alluding to Dark Matter, Project right. Raven or whatever, but in a way I am piggybacking off of that public discovery to suggest, right. look, the space has way more players than we give credit for. And when we sit around and go, this is the US and this is Saudi Arabia and whatever, we're very much oversimplifying a massive menagerie yeah. of actors uh, into some, you know, middle school geography class that it isn't. You put out a, a call for action. Uh, you put out a technical appendix with IOC's analysis of the tool sets and all of that stuff for others to pick apart and hunt for additional components, right. share, crowdsource, crowdsource this thing right. so we can pick apart. Uh, two, two quick questions there. What are you hoping to accomplish from that realistically? And two, if you could guide me in an area that needs attention, the, 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 you know, if you could guide the audience and like, listen, we've put out all of this stuff, I would specifically urge you to look at the command and control here. There's something here that's interesting. What would you point so, to? I, I would love to be bested, right? Like we did our best work. Um, I would love for anyone to come around and show us the things we missed, show us what, you know, what we didn't have access to. Um, I, I do want the mystery solved, right? Like that, it's genuinely, it's, it, it is without hubris that you go on a stage and go, look, this is the best I could do. And it's cool, but I couldn't, you know, like we couldn't really figure this out, right? Like there is. What does solving it solving mean? Solving it is, in my mind, obviously the the holy grail is you get to understand the whole org. But I think in my mind, situational awareness is what threat intel researchers should be striving for at all times. Being able to say these guys have been around for six years, uh, they were into these things before. We actually found them into these or other organizations. This characterizes the real set of targets that they care about. They have hacked folks in the US before they have hacked this, you know, we see a trend in how their victims change like that is awareness. What we have right now is, uh, you know, I kept saying it's like the shark fin that broke out of the water, right? Like you're like, okay, there's a predator and, and we should be scared. I don't know where it was. I don't know where it is now. I don't know how close to me it is, right? Like I'm about to lose a leg and I have no clue, you know, what I'm dealing with here. Um, what's worth what's special? Worth special? Well, first of all, um, I wish that light server in particular, like I try not to call or specific orgs out, but like I wish that light server in particular had been more pliable and willing to collaborate. Um, you know, when someone's abusing your platform to run high end attacks, um, I don't know that you're doing anyone a service by protecting their privacy, quote unquote. Uh, so that's one thing. I mean, I'd love to get more visibility out of that side. They use their infrastructure in very particular ways. It would have been nice for more folks to kind of come around with that information. Uh, beyond that, there, there's two areas to focus on. Um, one is they're living in memory. And once they're in memory, they're not necessarily hard to pick up. The real issue is as an industry, memory is an underserved uh, point of visibility for a variety of complex reasons we won't get into right now. Uh, and frankly, the only company I can think of that operates in this space well and competently and consistently is Velexity. So like, Velexity. shout out to Steve Adair and, and Tom Lancaster, Paul Rascaneras, all these people. They're, you know, they are operating in a rarefied space that more of us should have visibility into. Uh, but again, like, that's one area where if you have a large enough volatility farm and large enough visibility in the right places, I would expect you to be able to trip over them with relative ease. The other area is the beginnings of their attack chains. They're not using zero days and stuff at that point as far as we know, but rather 
they're being right. very, very clever and very, very pragmatic about abusing whitelisted binaries um, from Microsoft, from whatever, to just kick off that first part of the attack chain, the most vulnerable part uh, to visibility in a way that, you know, right, right, Microsoft right. Defender is going to ignore, right? If it's a Microsoft resource that's loading up the shell code that starts off this multi-stage attack chain, Defender is not going to look at a Microsoft sign binary and go, I'm going to block all of these, right? So like, there's a part there where right, they're just right, being right. clever. And I think that now knowing that there's smoke in that area, that's where I would, I think that's where mere mortals can focus their efforts and go, okay, if I catch that part, I know that something else is going on. Right. How many of these you you, you would guess and figure are, are running around? These types there? of actors, metadors. These types of these types of not not actors, but these types of campaigns. You've asked this kind of question of like my mentor and all the and time our friend, because right, because, like you yeah, ask Kostin Ryu this all the time, <laughs> and I think that's one of the few areas where I think Kostin and I are. In, in like opposition, that we're diametrically opposed. I think Kosin has always been very right, right. Um, um, optimistic, confident, confident about sort of how yeah. much of this we see. I'm on the other side of the spectrum. I think we see a fragment of what's actually out there between the limitations of telemetry, the um, the siloing of telemetry, right? Semantic gets bought by Broadcom. Broadcom gets rid of all their blogs. God knows what happens to all their tools. This AV right. company that lived five years ago went bankrupt. What happened to their collection? What happened to their telemetry? Like there's so many, like what happens to all the victims who never owned a damn security product ever, right? Like there's so many ways in which right, right. Uh, our aperture is already very biased into a small subset. It's then fragmented into a series of disconnected silos and and then subject to the whims of did somebody look at the right time did they have the right skills to know what they were looking at and and, and were they right. able to talk could they share there's so many ways and like one of the things that comes to mind since we're talking telcos is uh, there is this unbelievable uh, hack-in-the-box talk from like six years ago about IR at telcos and it turns from a run-of-the-mill discussion about doing incident response at telcos to, oh, we just so happen to find this Apex Predator modifying Plex code on Ericsson devices in memory because we just so happen to look at the right time. And I think that's a reminder of, right. dude, there's so much happening out there. And we're just, you know, we are not this panopticon we think we are where we can see everything everywhere. We yeah. are so far from that. A lot of it is luck yeah, too. A lot yeah, of, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that makes me uncomfortable. Like the fact that we're there, that it's luck. It's like every time you can, like I win the lottery. I've won the lottery like 20 times in my career. And that's delightful, but that's not how security should work in general. Right. Let's leave it right there, my friend. Thank you very much for appearing on the show. Come back again as usual whenever we have something in common to talk about. Appreciate it.